welcome to Woodlawn. We're so glad you're here. We want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online again today. And we also welcome those of you in the house. We have people in the house. Did you know that? Look at each other and say, you in the house. Just go ahead and tell each other that. Yeah. And let me just tell you, you look so much thinner in person. You know what I'm saying? We've been doing so many Zoom things, it's all been on camera, right? And so you look great. Boy, don't you look good? See, that was worth coming to church right there just for me to brag on you. Let me tell you a story. You you got a minute? You you okay if I do that? In 1989, I went to New York City and I took a tour of NBC. And when I was on that tour, I was killing time waiting to go see the David Letterman show. I was standing there as a standby person. I didn't have a ticket. And so there were these pages with NBC, and I had to stand in line all day. And so they said, now you can go watch some other shows that are being filmed right now if you want to while you're killing time waiting to go see David Letterman. But if you get out of line, other than going to the shows, you've lost your place in line. You may not get in. So I said, okay, I'll go see you. I said, what do you have? They said, well, there's two shows that they're taping this afternoon. You can go see either one of them. They said, you can go see Another World or you can go see Donahue. My sense of humor, I said, what's the difference? (laughs) Think about it. They didn't get it. So I said, I don't want to go see another world, so I'll go see Donahue. And let me tell you, that was another world. I went to see Donahue, and, and I wanted to just go in the back and sit down in the dark and be by myself and just sit down and take a nap because, you know, I was just killing time waiting to go in to see Letterman. And so I got there, but the problem is that everybody else had already gone in before me, and all the standby people, they made us go in last. And guess where all the seats were that were left? Just like church, just like church, front row, it was just wide open. You could go sit on the front row, right, because you had plenty of seats. And so they sat me down, and I had watched all day long. You don't know this, but they practice all that stuff, even those talk shows. And so what they did was there were three guys behind me and two girls across the aisle, and they were really well-dressed, and they were out-of-work actors and actresses. And so what they did was they brought them in during the day, and they would they would pull up in a taxi, and it was raining, and they would get out, and they would take them up on the elevator, and then about an hour later, some more people would come in. So they would rehearse the whole talk show. Am I just blowing your mind? I'm giving you a view behind the sacred purple curtain of talk shows. And so they rehearsed all that stuff. And so at one point after a commercial, the the couple uh, of the girls across the aisle and the guys behind me, they got into an argument about something. And I was bored to tears. You know what the topic was? Well, I'll tell you. Let me just tell you what the topic was. (laughs) If those of you are still awake, let me mention that to you. The topic was women who hate men. Now, that's the kind of show I need to go see, right? (laughs) Women who hate men, and they weren't even celebrities. And I watched that thing, and I said, they will never put this on television. He's been doing this so long that they've run out of topics. There's nothing else to talk about, and this is what they're going to talk about. It was the most boring thing. So anyway, I watched it. I stood there. After it was over, uh, Donahue went to the door. 
And he stood there and he shook hands with every person, just like a preacher. He said, I'm going to be a preacher today. Shook hands, talked to us as we were leaving that day. He was really working hard because Geraldo and Oprah were eating his lunch at that time. And so he was trying to, he'd been on the air for a long time. He was trying to to kind of bump up his audience. And so I I left and uh, I thought they won't ever show this. The next morning, New York City, that thing comes on TV. I can't believe that it's on there. Now, little did I know that there's a couple back in Navarre, Florida, who attend my church. <laughs> and when I show up, and I, they got me right down front. When the show starts, Donahue is standing right next to me. You can't miss me. And, and by the way, it's so cold in there, I was freezing. So let me just tell you, it was really cold. So I'm sitting there, and he's standing beside me. He said, hi, I'm Phil Donahue, and we're here today to talk about women who hate men. And I was like, oh, goody. I'm so glad. And you can't, once you're in, you're in. You can't get out. That You're locked in for that hour while they taped the show. So I watched the whole thing. Now, this couple <laughs> in Navarre Beach, the next morning, she's watching Donahue. Honey, honey, come quick. Reverend Lay is on Donahue. No, that's not Reverend Lay. He said, no, I'm telling you, come in here. That's Reverend Lay. He said, no, that guy just looks like Reverend Lay. She said, I'm telling you, that's Reverend Lay. He said, that guy's fatter than Reverend Lay. <laughs> but it was Reverend Lay. So I just want to tell you, you look so thin in person. That, went, that was a long way to go for that, wasn't it? Boy, we received the benediction. I'm through now. That's about all I got. I've been out of practice. I don't know how to do this anymore. What can I tell you? You know, I've been preaching to that little red light back there with nobody in the room except Katie and uh, Sheila. And they're in the dark and they're snoring and taking a nap while I'm talking. And I, I can't see. There's nobody here to see. I can't see anybody anyway. And so that's what I'm used to. So today it's just like, wow, there's actual people here. How about that? Well... I'm so glad I shared that with you. Now, I want you to imagine something this morning. I want you to imagine that you were born and raised in China. And I want you to imagine that in China, you didn't have a lot of freedom. And you couldn't just pick and choose where you wanted to go and what you wanted to do and how you wanted to act. In China, you didn't just get up and go to church on Sunday morning. That wasn't an opportunity for you. It wasn't available to you. They wouldn't allow that to happen. And so you never knew what the church was. And then an American pastor came to where you were one time, and he preached and he shared the gospel. And he explained how Jesus died for your sins. And so you're a young adult, and you're listening to this message for the first time in your life, and you're so enthralled by it, and you're so moved by it, that when he gives you an opportunity to accept Christ, Christ as your Savior, you immediately do that. And after you do that, and after the service is over, you walk up to this pastor, a young woman, 23 years old, this happened to her. And, and you look at him, and you have a question for him. And this is what she asked him. She said, with all the freedom you have in America, why doesn't everybody go to church? With all the freedom you've got, how could anybody stay away? Now, I've got to tell you, when I got saved, I was pretty zealous about trying to win converts and tell other people because to me it was such good news, right, that I wanted to share it with other people. And that's what she was saying. But she was looking at us and she was saying, you know, you don't know what you've got. In America, we've got great freedom, don't we? 
But you know what's happened to us in America? Because we have so much freedom, we also, if we're not careful, have a lot of apathy. I think that COVID has caused us to care more. I think that COVID has caused us to look at our lives and appreciate the little things. I think that those of you who are able to be here today are just thankful for some normalcy. You're just able to go back and do something that you used to do before COVID came along. And so today I want us to think about, well, what's it like for us to be people living in America? And what can we learn from that young woman's statement? There's so much freedom, but there's so much apathy. You know what that tells me? That tells me that the church is a really big deal. It really is. It's a big deal because the body of Christ can have an influence on people. You may not even realize it, but they can. The church, we've said, began as a movement. It is a movement. It's not, you know, you say, I'm going to the church. You're just going to a building, right? The church is the body of Christ. And so when you share that message about how Jesus died, rose again, was resurrected, and and how he gave his life for our sins, and now he's alive. And so you and I have the opportunity to take advantage of that. Now that very simple message changed that young woman's life forever. And we've been looking at the book of Acts and asking the question, how in the world did the first century church survive the first century? Because there was so much persecution and people were getting killed and people were being crucified. People were being beaten and tortured for being Christians. How in the world did we ever get through the first century and all the way up to today? To answer that question, we're going to continue in the book of Acts. And we're going to see how that Peter got up one day and preached. We've talked about this in the last few weeks. 3,000 people gave their lives to that commitment, that movement that day. That's, that's an amazing thing, a miracle. 3,000 people were persuaded to follow Jesus. And then that number grew to 10% of the Jewish population and the people living, the Gentiles too, in Jerusalem. And instead of having a dozen disciples, now they got about 8,000 people who were following. Can you imagine how that thing just burst open like that and how it grew and blossomed? Jesus has risen from the dead. He's the Messiah. Things have changed. They're never going to be the same again. And then something bad happened. Because of that, persecution broke out. And we looked last week and we saw how the religious leaders, the authorities, they got upset. Why did they get upset? Because nobody was going to their service anymore. All you people, you used to come to our church and now you're going off to meet with those other people in the way. That's what it's called, the way. They didn't call people Christians back then. The way was, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You're following the way. And we don't like it. And so we're jealous. And so we're going to persecute you. Can you imagine? And that's what they did. And they dragged them before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish authorities of the day. And they said two things. They said, you got to stop talking about the resurrection. And you got to stop using the name of Jesus. And if you don't stop doing that, we're going to torture you. And if you still don't stop, we're going to kill you. And so they went to some of the disciples who had been doing that, and they told them that. And then they flogged them, which was like with the cat of nine tails, and they would whip them. 
And it would literally pull their skin off their bodies. And they were whipped and they were beaten and flogged. And they were warned, now don't talk about the resurrection and don't speak the name of Jesus and quit telling everybody that we were the ones who crucified him. Well, you did crucify him, you know. What's the deal there? And so in Acts 5, it says, this is what they did after they were beaten. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Most people would have run home and hidden. Most people would have headed for the hills. They were excited. I'm just so thankful. I'm just so thankful that God let me do this for him and for a lost world. I'm just so appreciative. And day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. You can beat us, but we're not going to stop. We're not going to quit because there's no way we can be quiet. Instead of huddling together and saying, why do bad things happen to good people? Where is God in all this? We find them in an incredibly bold way continuing to share what they believed and doing it faithfully. And so things got so big that the church was just mushrooming. It was just growing so fast that they had to get some structure. And you know, God has a way of raising up new people to do things, doesn't he? You know, even here at Woodlawn, God raises up new people. And we implement new people in leadership. We implement new people in service. And, you know, God just raises up people. And, and because of that, it just grows. The leadership grows. The membership grows. The people grow. And what we're able to do is we're able to reach more people because of that. And that's what was happening. And there was one guy that stood out. This one guy who came, and he was a convert, and his name was Stephen. And Stephen was just so bold. He was just so excited because of his newfound faith that he wanted everybody to experience what he was experiencing. And so what he did was he started proclaiming the word. He started preaching boldly, and the Sanhedrin heard about him. He stood up, and he was counted, and people saw it and heard it. And so they said, well, maybe we can take advantage of this. And so they brought him in, and they arrested him. And then they gave him all the charges. Here are all the things you're doing wrong. And then this is what he did. He stood up and he gave his defense. And you ought to go home today and you ought to read Acts the 7th chapter. Because when you read Acts the 7th chapter, he gives his defense for what he believes and why he's doing what he's doing. And when he gets through doing that, they're so stirred up and they're so angry with him that they bodily pick him up They take him outside, and they stone him. They kill him right there on the spot. Stephen was the first martyr in this new movement called the church, the way. And what that did, you know, was it empowered the enemies of the church then to widespread persecution. It wasn't just one at a time now, but now they were going to persecute people in groups. And here's how Luke, in the, in the book of Acts, explains what happens next. In Acts, the eighth chapter, it says, And Saul approved of their killing him. In other words, Saul was kind of in charge. Saul was a person who persecuted Christians. Now, 
I want you to understand his mindset. In his mind, he thinks he's serving God. He thinks he's doing the right thing because he sees Christian people, the people of the way, he sees them as going against what the Jewish people have been taught, and they don't accept the Messiah. And so he thinks he's doing the right thing, and he's very zealous about it. And it says, on that day, persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And you know, that, that goes hand in hand with what Jesus says. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's Acts 1.8. And that's exactly what happened, wasn't it? So the new disciples, these new followers of Jesus, they're left in Jerusalem because the persecution is so intense. And here's what happens. A lot of the people really do head for the hills. A lot of the people who are not apostles, they just go and they say, we've got to get out of here because this persecution, we're all going to be killed. There's no way we can live through this. And in Acts, the eighth chapter, you can read about it. It says, Godly men buried Stephen, and they mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, and he put them in prison. Now, why did he go from house to house? Because they didn't have a church building back then. They met in houses. And so he was literally going in to where they were having prayer meetings. They were studying God's Word. They were learning together from what God was teaching and what the disciples were learning. And so there together while they're studying and learning and growing and worshiping, they would go in and literally pull them out and they would arrest them and they would take them to prison. And so Paul actually wants to stamp out the local church. He wants to put an end to this movement for once and for all. And for three years, he continues to persecute Christians and arrest them and throw them in jail. And after three years, something incredible happened that changed everything for Saul, and it changed everything for the spread of the gospel. And Luke tells about it in Acts 9. It says in Acts 9, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Okay? What he's saying is, is look, I want to persecute these Christians. I want to arrest them and bring them back for trial. So I want you to give me a letter so I'll have authority so I can go to Damascus and I can begin there to persecute Christians and bring them back here for trial in Jerusalem. And the high priest said, okay. And he said, so if he found any who belonged to the way, that's what he's talking about, the way. Now, what's the way? Well, I've told you that means that they didn't call them Christians back then. They just said, if you follow the way. And so he goes on, he says, if they found any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem, right? And so now Saul is on his way to Damascus. He has permission to persecute the Christians and arrest them. And it says in the scriptures, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Saul, and he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. And so what happens then is, is he found any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, and he was taking them to Jerusalem. And then he has this experience, right? And the implication that Jesus is saying to him here is this. What you do to my people, you do to me. If you persecute my followers, 
you persecute me. Do you know what that means? That means that every person in here that's a part of the body of Christ is a representative of Jesus. That means that every one of us, we have a responsibility to be a witness for him, that they might see a glimpse of Jesus in us. What you do to my people, you do to me. We are the church. We're the representation of Jesus on earth. And even in the first century, there was a recognition of that movement. People understood what they were supposed to do, and they did it. And then it goes on and says, now get up. This is Jesus. Get up, go into the city, and you will be told, he's talking to Saul, what you must do. And he stands up and he realizes that he is blinded by the light. He can't see a thing. They have to lead him into the city of Damascus. They take him into this guy's house where he can't see. They set him in a chair. And what does he do? Well, it's rocked his whole world, as you could imagine. And he starts praying. Now, I want you to catch what happens. While he's in this stranger's house and he's praying, God gives a vision to another man there in the city named Ananias. And this is what he says to him. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. I love this. I love it because here's this guy, you know, Saul's over here praying in this house and Ananias is over here in his house. And while he's praying, God speaks to this kind of vision and he brings the two of them together for his purposes. Isn't that just amazing? Isn't that just so neat? You talk about a divine appointment. Lord, you have my attention. I'm going over there exactly where you said. And he's thinking to himself as he goes, that name rings a bell, Saul, hmm, and he says, Lord, Ananias answered, he said, I have heard many reports about this man, (laughs) and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and then he says, and he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name, now, I want you to read between the lines here, this is what he's saying, Just in case you didn't know, that guy Saul is a bad guy. He persecuted my friends. He killed some of them. And now you want me to go talk to him. Are you paying attention? Are you listening to what you're saying to me? I don't think I want to go do that. It doesn't say this could be dangerous. You go first, okay? But he says, I love this. I love what he says. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And so what does he do? He goes. He agrees to go. I love that. And I said, okay, that's what you want me to do. I'll do it. And he goes and finds out. Can you imagine walking up to the house? I guess I got to knock on the door now, you know. And that's what he's got to do. He's got to walk up there and he's got to go inside and he does. And there's Saul sitting there in a chair. And so what does he do? Well, it's an amazing thing. He goes in and what would you do if this guy was your enemy? Well, the last thing I'd want to do is close my eyes, right? You know, I'm going to watch this guy. But that's not what he does. Ananias walks over to where Saul is and he lays hands on him and he prays for him. You know, the Bible tells us to pray for our enemies, doesn't it? 
And that's a powerful thing to do. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but here's what I've learned. When I put those folks on my list and I pray for them, and I don't pray for them for their brakes to go out or something like that, okay? <laughs> Lord, I just pray that you'll just hit them with chicken pox. No, I, I, don't, I don't do that. <clears throat> I pray for God to bless them and to give me favor with them. And so, you know, when you do that and you keep them on your list, what happens is you begin to have a heart for them because you pray for them every day. And so they prayed together. And then what happens? It says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus and proving that Jesus was the Messiah. And then here's what happens. Saul kind of falls away from the picture for about 14 or 15 years, and he begins to just kind of study on his own and learn on his own. And then he spends time with Jesus' followers. He spends uh, a couple of weeks with Peter, and he absorbs all that he can learn with Peter. He goes to Jesus' brother James. He spends some time with him and with other close followers of Jesus. And he's just kind of being discipled himself. And after years of preparation, he launches out on what's called Paul's missionary journeys. Now, you'll remember that Saul was a Jew, and that after the Damascus Road experience, he became a Christian. And God said, a lot of times what God does is not only does he change your life completely, but he changes your name, too. And his name was changed from Saul to Paul, and that's the, that's the, the Apostle Paul that we know about. And so he would leave from Jerusalem, and he would travel to Turkey and to Greece, and he would share. And, and over those years, 12 years or so, he would, everywhere he went, he would just plant little churches, just start little churches everywhere. And meanwhile, the apostles huddled together in Jerusalem. <clears throat> it's kind of like Paul is saying, i tell you what, you guys stay here in Jerusalem, take care of the folks here. I'm going to go out and share the gospel with the rest of the known world, okay? Y'all just handle this little part. I'll do everything else. And, you know, he would go, first thing he would do, he would always go to the synagogue because he had a heart for the Jewish people. And he would go to them first, and he would share with them about Jesus and how Jesus changed his life. And some of them would be converted, but others would get angry with him, and they would throw him out, or sometimes they would beat him up or stone him one time, and yet he lived through it, and and they would have him arrested. And as soon as he got out, then he would go to the Gentiles in that area the people who were not Jewish, and he would share with them the good news. And he would tell them about how the Son of God is Jesus, and he's died for your sins, and he's the Messiah, and he's real. And he did that in Corinth and Athens and Ephesus and all over the known world at that time. He was doing that. And then he was arrested in Jerusalem, and he was taken to Caesarea, and he stayed there for a couple of years. And then he got out, and after a couple of years, he, he was arrested again. And this time he was in Rome, and he was under house arrest for two years. And then they let him out. But while he was in Rome in prison, he wrote to the Ephesians and the Philippians and others. And a lot of the books in the New Testament were written while he was there. And then in, in, after two years in Rome, he was released. And then he got rearrested. And he was arrested for about a year and a half this time. And he was in prison. And this time he was in a dungeon. And he was in Rome. And Nero was the emperor. And he was a bad guy. And then I want you to imagine this. This is so moving to me. I want you to imagine that you're the Apostle Paul and you've persecuted Christians and God has shown his grace to you. 
And now all you want to do is tell people about Jesus. All you, all you want to do, you've given your life to that very cause. And you're in prison, you're by yourself. And you have Christian friends, but none of them are there. It's just you. And one morning, probably early in the morning, the guards come to your cell and they lead you out. And they take you to the part of the city where he knows where he's going. They take you to the part of the city where they execute people. And there's nobody there clapping for you, nobody patting you on the back. There's no friendly faces around. It's just you and these guards and nobody's talking. And then without any ceremony at all, without any explanation, without anything, really, they just kill him. They behead him. And his life ends. But the impact of his life was just beginning. The impact is still with us today. And a year later, Nero committed suicide. You know why he committed suicide? Because he was afraid that his followers were going to kill him. So he took the coward's way out. Okay, if you're going to kill me, I'll just show you. I'll kill myself, right? And today, people name their dogs Nero, but they name their sons Paul. The significance of that. A very bad thing can happen to really good people. But God is still God, and he still sits on the throne. And never in the book of Acts do we find Christians huddled together saying, why do bad things happen to good people? We find them boldly proclaiming the gospel. It was Paul's boldness and his courage. That's a part of the reason that you and I are here today. That's a part of the reason that we know what we know. And there's something else that Paul did because if you didn't have an Old Testament background, the essence of the message of what he has to share comes to life through him. He would go to the Gentile regions. He said, even if you're not Jewish, you can be a follower of Christ. It's okay. And he would say to them, you know, this is in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. Now, brothers and sisters, he would say, I want to remind you of the gospel. And I, I preach to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. And then he would go on further and say, for what I have received, he said, I passed on to you as first importance. In other words, what he's saying there is, you know, if you forget everything else, don't forget this. This is the most important thing. And he goes on, he says, for what I have passed on to you, what I have received, I have passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried. And then after he was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. And so he tells them what happened. And after that, he says, <clears throat> he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. In other words, if you don't believe me, there's about 500 folks. You can just go talk to them right now for yourself. They're still around here. You see, it was so fresh. It had just happened then. And he wanted them to know that. And he goes on in 1 Corinthians and he says, though some of them have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles and and last, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Okay? What's he talking about there? Well, what he wants to say is, he's saying that, that I'm no one special. He says, in other words, you, you know, you're thinking you're Paul, and, and he, he doesn't think he's even desire. he doesn't even deserve to be called an apostle. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, for because I am persecuted the church of God, but 
because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and the grace to me was not without effect. In other words, I was so bad. I remember when Stephen got stoned, and I gave permission for it to happen. I've got such regret about what I did. And God, he could have used anybody but me. And yet, he chose me. I don't know why. But it was through his grace that he gave me the privilege to share with you. And so I'm going to share. And you and I could preach that same sermon, couldn't we? We could talk about our own sins, and we could talk about, I don't know why he chose me. But it was through his grace, and because of it, I'm going to take advantage of it, and I'm going to tell other people what it means to be a Christian. And that's what he did. And then here's the bottom line. He said, I want you to remember four things. Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ was raised, and he appeared again to the disciples. And so here's my question for you today. Has there ever been a time in your life when you've heard about the message of Christ and you've said, you know, <clears throat> I can really see this now. I really believe that that happened. I want to embrace that. Have you ever expressed to your heavenly Father that Christ died for your sins, that he was buried, that he rose again, and that he lives today, and that you want to embrace that, that you want to embrace him as your Savior? If during this message something clicked for you, then I want you to think about that. And I want you to ask yourself, do I really think that for myself? Because perhaps today is the day that you will embrace the message, that you will become a part of the church, that you will become a part of the movement. Let's pray. Father, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, I pray that right now they would just talk to you just like I talk to you. I pray that they would just tell you that, that they've heard your message, that today they would like to become a part of the way, that they want to join that movement, that they want to become a part of the body of Christ. Today, Lord, I pray that they would respond. They might be here in the room. They might be watching online. I don't know who they are, but you do. And so today, Lord, I pray that they would just stop and they would pray and they would take advantage of this opportunity, just like Saul was praying blinded in a house and you spoke to Ananias and he came and prayed for Saul. Lord, you can do anything you want to do. And so I just pray that you would move in people's lives today and that they might come to know you. I pray for people who know you but they've fallen away from you and they need to come back to you. I pray that you would draw them back to you now, Lord. I pray for people who are praying for their family or their friends people who are praying for loved ones, people who are praying for people they work with, those that they know, those in their neighborhood, whoever it might be, that, that they might come to know you as well. Those who are praying for their children and their children's children, for future generations of their family to know you and walk with you and love you and learn from you and be your witnesses. I pray for them today, Lord. And I just pray that you would work in their lives, that you would move in their lives in such a way that their lives will be different from this day forward. And Lord, we all thank you for that. We thank you today. In Jesus' name, amen.